Hey, She Slays listeners. Before we get into the episode, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, the Focus Academy. So you know chiropractic can help kids, but you lack confidence in your knowledge or communication skills to educate parents in your community. I've got a solution for you. The Focus Academy gives you the training and education to understand the why behind those wins and challenges you're seeing in clinic. They teach you how to perform a full brain-based exam, how to go beyond just the subluxation, but stay principled in your chiropractic approach and address and understand the consequences on brain development. They take a two-pronged approach. First, clinical solutions taught in a way that gives you full access to a deeper and more comprehensive understanding and breaks those techniques and approaches down into digestible and practical steps. Second, right now strategies you can employ wherever you are in your training. You'll learn how to seamlessly ask and answer the big questions in your clinical exams and re-exams and have it actually inform the whole child approach and care planning in a way your patients will understand. And since you're a She Slays listener, you'll get free access to the Focus Academy's Kickstart program. Just click the link in the show notes to get started on your journey to improving your practice. She Slayers, and welcome to another episode of She Says Today podcast. I am your host, Dr. Lauren Brunslick. And if we are cataloging these episodes as um, ones that are Cairo specific and just up for anyone today, we would put an asterisk by it and it would be up for anyone. Um, although, I don't know. The men, men, please, the 15 to 20% of you, uh, shoot me a message and let me know uh, because my guest today, Emma Wilson, we have a really cool conversation about the pressures that and timelines that are put on uh, basically how much you need to have your life together by 30. Um, and then if you don't, the career pressures, if you need, if you feel like you're in the wrong career, you need to pivot or the wrong relationship, you're not married, you don't have kids. And we kind of guess that this is a pressure that maybe more women feel, but I would love to hear if you're like, no, actually I felt a very similar way. So anyways, yes, today is not a Cairo specific, but I do want to ask your your grace, um, forgiveness. I don't know. So in the field of chiropractic, you can get a lot of flack if you, um, don't come across 100% drinking the Kool-Aid, loving it, believing that every person in the world would be better off if they were a chiropractor. And for the sake of maybe somebody listening who doesn't feel like they are that, um, I do ask some questions to Emma about like the difficulties of being in a graduate profession, a profession that required a graduate degree and feeling like you may have made the wrong decision. I personally super happy with chiropractic. You don't need to worry. I'm good, but I'm here to ask the questions. So nobody get their undies in a bundle. Also, you want, you want some like, I'm going to spill some tea. I don't know if that's a phrase. So I'm going to, I'm going to shit talk is actually what I'm going to do. So, um, last week, a week, I don't know. We had Dr. Alessandra Cologne on the TLC, uh, crack addicts star reality TV star. She's delightful. Absolutely delightful. If somehow you're listening to this episode before that one, go listen to her interview last week as well. But I shared it on a Facebook page with a lot of chiropractors. 
Now, I think that everybody who has a brain knows that the name of the show is, I don't even want to say it's problematic, like with society. I would say one, I don't know if it's super sensitive to like actual people who are addicted to crack, but whatever. Um, And then also like chiropractors, you aren't going to love it. They're just not going to love it. They're not going to love the name. I think we all know this. And then I think any of us with a reasonable head on our shoulders would go, hmm, I wonder how much say she had in that. Probably none. Do I think that she named the show? Probably not. Do I think that they gave a rip when she said, hey, there's going to be some chiropractors who don't like the name of the show. And they were like, really? Oh, shoot. We'll change. No, I don't think they thought that at all. So I post the episode, like go listen to it. And then I get like in a Facebook fight with this chiropractor on Facebook who kind of goes like, I don't like the name. I won't watch it. I don't like the name of the show. And so then I kind of say all the things back that I just said now, thinking she'd be like, that's understandable. Nope. Just like continues to be a bitch, like total bitch. At one point, Kirby's like, what are you doing over there? Because you're not focused on too hot to handle. And I'm like, I am fighting with this chick on Facebook. (laughs) And he's like, do you think Dr. Cologne wants you to do that? And I'm like, I don't care. She's in my girl gang now and I defend my homies. Um, So then Kirby wrote something super nice and eloquent as me. And then the chick still came back being a bitch. So I don't know if you have, if you happen to know which Facebook page or Facebook group I'm talking about, you can go and find it and go, hee, hee, hee. But um, yeah, so there's there's my, there's my the drama in my life this week. Apparently, if you are a guest on this podcast and I love you, I am going to go to Facebook fights in your behalf. Oh, there was another person. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But sometimes we can just be such asshats to each other. And um, it's... I don't know why. So another person talks about how they don't like how she didn't do a professional or thorough enough exam on the patients on the show. I only watched one episode because I thought it made our profession look bad because she didn't do a thorough exam. And so then I'm like, well, do you think that like maybe editing, like, do do you think maybe like, uh, they just edited that out? (laughs) And she's like, I don't care. I think it could like our it could have been done better. And so then me just being like sassy because I get sassy. Um, I was like, so you think you could have done better? <laughs> and she comes back with yes. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Anyways, anyways. Um, oh, okay. So I have a little announcement about a um, what what do we call this? Oh, a job, a jobby. So if you don't know this, if you're at the top tier of my Patreon membership, the Roadmap to Success, if you are hiring an associate, you can shoot me an email and I will blast out the info. So this one is Wave of Life Chiropractic and they are in a great location. Y'all, they're in sunny Virginia Beach and you can't see the photo that she attached, but it's pretty. It's very pretty. They're family focused, ICPA, looking for an associate. Um, They're 100% cash. Their salary is 60 to 80K. Their technique is diversified, Thompson and Activator, and they're 75% mamas and babies. So they have continuing ed, 401K, doctor trainings, membership, 
personally and professionally. Uh, they use CLA scans. Sounds like, I don't know, kind of sounds like my clinic, except, well, we're not 75% mamas and babies. But anyways, and it's on a beach and we're also not we're not that. So this sounds, this sounds better. Go work for her, not me. <laughs> so if you are interested and you want more information, one, you can stalk Wave of Life Chiropractic on Instagram or Facebook, um, or you can email Dr. Carly, D-R-C-A-R-L-Y at waveoflifechiropractic.com. All right, our guest today. So I have Emma Wilson, and she is the first and only life coach dedicated to helping those who are turning 30 to feel better at this transitional time. After experiencing her own personal turning 30 struggles, Emma began her mission to help others struggling with the 30 pressures, helping her clients to feel more confident and get unstuck in all areas of life from careers, dating, friendships, finances, lifestyle, and more. And on today's episode, I think we talk about all of those. We talk about getting unstuck in career, um, dating. We talk about babies. We talk about finance, all sorts of stuff. So through one-on-one coaching courses, group programs, and her podcast, The Turning 30 Podcast, Emma guides 30-somethings to ditch the timelines and the shoulds to create a life in their 30s that feels right for them. I love this um, because I personally deal with a lot of shoulds and like societal pressures. So even though Emma and I are both 36, so that was like one of the things I was like, well, wait, what if I already turned 30. Will there be any benefit from this episode? And there was a ton. So don't you worry. So let's pray and get down to it. Dear God, this is such a vulnerable conversation um, for so many people. And be with anybody who listens to this and feels stuck in where they're at in life. Uh, feels like they it's too late to make a career change, to make a relationship change, to make a big life change. Um, just continue speaking to them, please. And if it is what is in their best interest and what you have planned for them, then just continue. Please give them that nudge. Um, I ask anybody listening today, if you find yourself in that boat, listening to this episode and feeling like you need a nudge, just ask, ask God to reveal it to you in some way. And I pray that he does. Um, God, I also pray that you surround them with, with mentors and, and smart people who speak truth from you, from a place of wisdom and love and light to help guide them and encourage them to make big, bold decisions uh, for their life. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, here is my interview with Emma Wilson. So I found you through your podcast. How long have you been doing the... Okay, actually, first, I have a question. On your Instagram page, it says the first. Now, is there, <laughs> like your face, just, you know where I'm going with this, because your podcast is turning 30. Have there been spinoffs? I went through a period around two years ago where all of a sudden people started copying me and it was reasonably near the start of me becoming you know, bigger and getting more of a community. And I remember at first being like, oh my God, like everyone else wants to be a turning 30 coach. And then I definitely coached myself through that and realized it was a huge compliment that other people, you know, were choosing this niche, but also it's because it's necessary. And I think that it's, uh, 
um, an age group and uh, target audience that needs to be addressed. So I wasn't, after initially, initially being a little freaked out, I realized, okay, there's more than enough room for all of us. So, oh, yeah. um, but I'm the officially first one that's come out and branded herself as the Turning 30 Coach. Got it. So how old were you when you started the podcast? So I just turned 36. The podcast has been going for three years. Actually, just reminded me, it's almost my podcast anniversary in the oh. next month. So yeah, it's been it's been three years in August. So I was 33 when the podcast started. Okay. Because I was like, all right, I would feel so much pressure. You know, coming up with a name for your podcast is difficult. You know, and so I would be like, okay, what happens when you turn 40? Like, are you going to have to change the name of this podcast? No. Well, every single podcast interview I've done in the past few weeks, that's the question that I've been asked is, are you going to be doing Does turning Does this mean 40? you're getting old? I know. And I'm like, is that because I just went from 35 to 36 last month and now everyone is freaking out that I'm like in the second half of my 30s, but I'm not. I'm like, maybe I will do turning 40. To be honest, I think that the message of turning 30 isn't actually really about age. It, it's about growing older and as women, the pressures that we have, but I think it can be applied to most ages and it's more about you know the societal conditioning and and pressures of having to do something by a certain time so I think that my my branding and it can be applied to somebody who was turning 40 very easily will I ever change the name probably not I really love the whole 30 thing so who knows who knows well and I feel like you can continue to coach like you're just going to get wiser with your coaching with time of like, yeah, I can still coach those people in that time. Like, yeah. It's like, if you, you know, as a chiropractor, if I had my podcast name was like starting a practice, it wouldn't be like, well, you started a practice 10 years ago. Why are you still coaching on starting a practice? It's like, well, because yeah. I still know a lot about it. <laughs> totally. No, there is a something there of like, obviously the older that I get, the further apart the age between somebody who would maybe first be introduced to to my Instagram or my podcast at the age of 28 or 29. It used to be when I first started it that that was very recent. And then now obviously like in the next few years, it will be 10 years difference. And I'm like a little bit out of touch with the whole like Gen Z TikTok thing. But at the same time, because I'm in constant contact with my community all the time, my clients are all different ages. To be honest, I coach people from who are 24 all the way up until their 50s. So it feels like I'm educated all the time about that. Uh, but yeah, like it definitely does feel that my brand is naturally speaking more to women who are similar age to me. And I've seen that progression as we go along. Like when I first started, I was definitely, you know, I first started uh, my Instagram page, which is where I hang out most of my community when I was only 31. So it was at that point, I was very connected to everyone who were in their late 20s and very early 30s. And then naturally, it's become more about speaking out about being in your mid 30s and almost like 35 is kind of like that new benchmark now. But again, just to reiterate, like it is relevant for for any age. I never stop people who want to come to me and get coached and I say, oh, no, sorry, you're not in the right age bracket. Don't, you're not don't. 30 yet. <laughs> yeah. Like, so... Don't. Did, when you started the Instagram, was there, was it just your personal Instagram kind of just, or did you start with the mission of like this being a side hustle or like a new career path? When I first started 
my Instagram, it was because I had decided to become a coach. It was at a crossroads. So that, that was my turning 30 journey. I was 29. I used to be a lawyer and I really hated it. And I basically quit that when I was around, I actually quit the first time when I was 27. And then again, when I was, <laughs> yes. when I was 28. And then when I was 29, 30, I was like in lots of different jobs. I was working in sales and events and and it just nothing really seemed to stick. And I originally had done a psychology degree before I went on to study law. So I always knew and I'd always said, oh, when I'm in my 30s, I'll come back to this psychology mindset world that I was really into and I really had a passion for. And then I decided, okay, I do want to become a coach. I discovered coaching and just love the idea of it, love the idea of helping people, working with them one-on-one, um, understanding their minds and like helping basically change their lives. And I started out as a career coach because I'd always struggled with career. It was always like the, the sore point for me that I'd become this lawyer and gone down a very traditional route that was expected of me and then just never found really what I wanted to do. And then what happened was I was coaching for a couple of years, nothing really ever took off. It was like, I was helping people with their uh, interviews and LinkedIn and, you know, CVs and things like this, but it never really felt like something really clicked. And then I think it was just two different things that happened at the time. It was firstly my own turning 30 journey that was really strong. And all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, life does not feel exactly what I thought it would be. So I was also going through my own turning 30 process And then the other thing that happened was that everyone I was coaching seemed to be on some sort of age related panic journey. So I had lots of clients who were like, I'm coming up to 30. I need to find out what to do next. I've recently turned 30. I want to quit my job and find what I want to do. I also had many women who were about to turn 40 and were like, okay, you know, enough is enough. I want to go back and figure out what I want to do. So it was from both of those things. And then I was like, okay, so this is a really relevant um age group plus I actually have my own story with it and I was still you know it's a never-ending journey I'm still on it now um and that's where it was born from and in terms of whether it was a side hustle or not it started out not as a side hustle it then became a side hustle again because I couldn't make it work at the start so then I went back and worked in high tech and did a few other things on the side for around 18 months and then exactly three years ago I took it full-time and I've been full-time ever since. That's incredible. So I would love to talk about any feelings that you needed to overcome to leave law. So is there, like, did you go to law school in the UK? Yeah, I studied law school and I did my training in the UK. I qualified as a UK lawyer. What's the like student loan situation over there? Because I would imagine that a a lawyer um, going to traditional, you know, undergrad and then law school is probably coming out somewhere between, somewhere north of 200,000 in debt. Maybe a little less than that if it was, you know, a few years ago. But like, is that similar over there? I know it's really different in the US in terms of law school and it's very different in the UK. So I did have a student loan for my psychology degree, but it was before it was like, you know, it's been, gosh, I guess like 18 years since I started my undergraduate degree. And that degree was very, 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 if I tell you it, if I remember correctly, the uh, the fees for it per year were like 
thousand pounds or something ridiculous like you can't even imagine it was before the fees went up and the fees even now are nothing compared to what it is in the states so I do I did get the student loan but for my first degree now when you go to study law if you study corporate law if you intend to work in corporate law and not in something like you know in the, in the good types of law like family law or um you know human, human rights or something like this then you basically get almost sponsored by a big law firm so you actually don't take a student loan and what happens is and it's it's crazy the way that it works when I was 22 and I decided I want to go and now convert to be a lawyer before I'd even done any legal training or anything you go out to the law firms and go on this really intense interview process once you get it's called a training contract so once you get your training contract they basically pay you to study so they cover the fees of two years of law school which is like very large fees and they give you a like a subsidy they give you money so you can rent um, so you pretty it sounds really impressive right it but sounds at the like, same time yeah. <laughs> you it's great in terms of it means for me I wasn't didn't have support from family and it was like you know I didn't have any money at the time I was you know 22 years old how would I have afforded to do it without taking on this huge loan but it gives you a way that you can for me I'm from Manchester and I really wanted to move to London it was like well, all my friends were there and I saw myself as this big city law firm uh lawyer in a law firm and then it made it possible for me. Now I still had to work and, you know, the money they give you wasn't enough to pay rent and live in London for two years. But yeah. it basically means that you get to do it. But a big, big but, you basically say, have, a have to sign a contract. Years. You have to sign a contract that you will then work for the law firm for the first two years to finish the training, which doesn't seem like that much of a big deal but you're pretty much signing a four-year contract into something that you've never studied before so I came out of the psychology degree was like I want to be like everyone else all my friends are doing law loads of my friends in, in college were doing law as well so it's like that sounds cool I want money I want to wear a suit I want to be important and then you're just signing it away and then all of a sudden I'm like started my first day of work after two years of law school and I was like oh oops no this isn't really for me can I leave now and then it's like well if only if you want to pay them like sixty thousand dollars then you can right. leave right so okay so the reason I had asked is because there's I feel like there's two layers of guilt when somebody's got a degree that they maybe didn't do their full homework on um and it's the financial of like I just bought this degree but then I think the more the deeper one is like the I don't know if it's shame embarrassment uh, they, they feel stuck like like I, I chose this I invested time in this I can't not do this can you talk through how and like chiropractic is amazing so like the last thing I ever want to do is talk someone out of chiropractic. In fact, like more of the time I'm like, Hey, let's find a way that this career can fulfill you. But there are people, it does exist, um, that they got this degree, they started practicing and they're like, Oh shoot, I don't like it. So how, what did you have to work through personally, um, to leave law behind? It's so funny because it, when I'm looking back now, obviously I was 25, 26 and I was first got the job and actually started training and was in the law firm. And I don't know how I actually <laughs> dealt with the emotions of it because I think it's exactly like you said, it's the shame of 
committing to something and then having to basically uncommit to it. And it's really hard. It's like breaking up with a version of yourself that you thought that you knew and that you don't know anymore. And it's really, really difficult. But I'm a big believer that that little niggle, that little like thing under the surface, if you really know it's not aligned for you. And I did know for me, I did know, like, I don't really care about law didn't really feel like connects to the people around me. I didn't look at the lawyers ahead of me and think, oh, I want to be like them. The the work itself didn't like really appeal to me. That niggle is only going to get louder and louder and louder. So I think for me, whilst I felt immense shame and embarrassment, and it was very much connected to the fact that all my friends were doing the same thing. The fact that in my like community, in my, um, my family, I don't want to say my family because my parents are very, very liberal and they never really put pressure, but in my wider family, kind of like aunts, uncles, grandparents, it was very expected of me to do this and go down like a more secure route. And I was the one that left to go to law school. And, you know, my grandma would talk about me at dinner parties is that, you know, the the beloved granddaughter who'd gotten this big fancy law firm job. So even though I had to overcome a lot of that shame and embarrassment, I was really aware that the longer I stayed, the worse it would get. And I think in terms of money, like it would be worse. You know, when you start training, you're on a good salary for that age. But the minute that you qualify, that's it. You're going to jump up and up and up and up. And I saw it as like a train that I just wasn't going to be able to get up. And the train was going to go faster and faster. And I had a huge fear of being stuck in a life that wasn't meant for me. So for me, I just... More, I felt I feel like I did run away from it a little bit, but I was just really true to myself and just decided, you know what, I'm going to regret this in 10 years if I don't do it now. And the the more I wait, the harder it will become. And that almost like having those thoughts made it easier for me to say, okay, like let's go and explore what else there is. And that was hard. And maybe your audience will feel the same if you've really committed to one path. Like I never done anything else before. You know, I studied psychology, but that was it. Like I was very academic. So it wasn't like I had loads of hobbies or loads of different interests outside. It was like law. That was all I knew. And I get that a lot with clients. They're like, but I don't know anything else. So I've got to stay here in this one thing. And I think it's about giving yourself that opportunity to go and explore other things. Yeah. Um, I feel like there is, so especially, you know, there's a whole group of people that can really relate to this. And I would imagine just from some of the things I've heard you say that you could relate to it in your past, or maybe still can. Um, but there's this like thing as a child where you're asked, like, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I learned quickly. Um, I mean, I guess this is a subconscious thing. I like, I don't remember like learning how to manipulate adults. Um, but I remember like it was a doctor, right? Like, so we're I'm like, oh, if we give them this, this job, they don't want to hear music. Well, at a certain age, let's talk about like a 13 or 14 year old, you know, it's cute to say you want to be a famous movie star when you're six, but like, if you're like 16 years old and you're like, this is what I'm going to be, you know? So it's like, you learn like, okay, I like, I like getting this this validation back from this adult that like, I'm going to go do this impressive thing. Like you talked about your grandma talking about like at dinner parties and, and, um, and then you're like in the hustle for high school and grades and this and that. And then like, obviously after high school, you're going to go to a four-year degree because that's what you do. And then you go to the four-year degree. And then like, after that, you go on to grad school because that's what you do. And there's just kind of this like 
go, 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 please, please, please go just like go in the path that society is like really happy that you're doing and you don't have to justify any decisions. Like, well, what are you going to do after college? I'm going on to get a graduate degree. People are like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. And so um, I feel like it is at a certain point, whether for a lot of those people, whether it happens in their 20s or their 30s or their 40s or maybe their 50s, where they're like, oh, when did I start making decisions for myself? Do you feel like that is a part of, because you talked about the turning 30 is more of this phase of life of growing up. Do you feel like that's a part of that? 100%. For me, and I know for so many of my community and my clients that turning 30 or almost like 28, 29 is the first time when they actually start questioning decisions that they've made. For me, obviously I happened a little bit younger with the career stuff and then the other stuff followed, but you know, many people just saunter through their twenties and don't know any different. And exactly like you said, that on this, like, it's almost like a computer game that everyone's going to do the same thing. You know, you graduate high school, some people maybe take a gap year, but most people go straight to college and you do that for however many years, maybe then grad school, then you get your first job and then maybe you get a second job. And it's only really when you're have a reason oh, to make think. sure you get married and have kids and buy a house during that time too. Yeah. Well, actually I'm thinking that that happens like from the ages of 25 to 20 to 30 paths can diverge. It's either like exactly what you said, marriage, mortgage, babies, and that starts happening for some people, but all the other path happens where they just like still going out and doing their thing and people are still traveling and figuring stuff out. But then at 30, everyone goes, well, why, you know, if you have been enjoying life, because your twenties is supposed to be fun. Now it's done. <laughs> then it's like, why? But all of a sudden, but you don't have a, you don't have enough money to buy an apartment. But, and then it's like, well, sorry, what you told me I was supposed to enjoy my twenties. Very confusing messaging. But back to the original question. Yeah, I think that 30 is a signpost for many, many people to start to ask those big questions, to start to say, when do I decide something for me that's not already decided for me? When can I do something that isn't just because my sibling did it, my older sibling did it, or my cousins, or this is what I thought was the best thing for me. Like you said, people are constantly praising you for making mainstream decisions. So uh, I think that's very, very true. And it's I think it is very age-related. Do a lot of your clients struggle when you ask them, like, well, what do you like? Yeah, a lot. A lot. I think that's the biggest thing I call it in my coaching that I don't know. Like clients get stuck in this. They come to me and they're like, I just don't know anything. And it's like a label. We say it's like a cock block. Like you literally are putting a label on yourself saying cock block. A cock block. Yeah. (laughs) It's like you tell yourself, I don't know. It's like having a label on your head. Like, I don't know. And I'm like, but you do know, but you're just not letting yourself know. And it can be really annoying when you're coaching someone and they say, but I really don't know. And I'm like, well, let's just pretend that we know for one minute, what would you, what other things would you like to do? And usually they say, oh, I'd really love to be a writer. Oh, I'd really love to be a presenter. You know, things like this, like the dreams come up, but they've been hidden under all these years of social conditioning. But it's a really normal thing to not, to not know and to not have clarity. And that's exactly what I had. Like when I came out of the legal profession, I was like, I don't have a clue because I never asked the question before because it always been masked by this, just doing what everyone else was doing.
Hey, She Slayers, are you looking to get your team off the phone and streamline your front desk so you can spend more time doing what you love? Sked has exactly what you're looking for. They will automate all your appointment reminders, missed appointment reminders, reactivation campaigns, allow you to have two-way texting with your patients. Plus, they have a very cool app that your patients are going to love. The app alone saves chiropractors tons of time because it gives patients the flexibility to move appointments to a time that works better for them. Don't worry, you won't lose control of your schedule because you'll have access to all the parameters that keep you still in control. Plus, there's overbook protection, so your schedule won't get out of hand. SCED was created by a chiropractor for chiropractors, so you can rest assured that you're getting the absolute best system for your office. Dr. Eric Kowalki is committed to the chiropractic mission, and he works closely with his developers to always be innovative so that we have the best system available. If you're hesitant to switch to SCED because you already use something else, let me tell you, it's worth every penny. Plus, mention that you heard about it on my podcast and they'll give you a discount. Seriously, it is a game changer. Don't wait. Hey, She Slayers. So a question I get asked a lot is, what have I found that works best to get new patients in the door? Well, my friends over at the Pediatric Experience have put together the ultimate branding and marketing playbook that does a comprehensive job to answer this question, and they even include a free video training that comes with it. This free guide reveals the secrets to a kick-ass, wildly effective marketing system that consistently brings in over 20 new patients every single month. And guess what? It's all organic. Picture this, a proven approach that will grow your patient numbers while you focus on doing what you do best, providing exceptional chiropractic care. Inside the playbook, you'll discover the five core elements of this powerful marketing system, from crafting a compelling brand to implementing strategic marketing strategies, they've got you covered. If you know PX, Dr. Tony and that crew, they practice exactly what they preach, and it's no different in the latest PDF Plus training they've put together for you. So if you're ready to attract more patients through the door, grow your practice, and dominate your local market, this guide is a must-have for you. So check out the link in the description to get your free download and video training. Um, and so then once people like find that they're like, Oh, actually I do want, did they struggle with like, okay, like, like I can't imagine that they're like, all right, well, I guess I'm an author now I'm going to go do that. Like what struggles do they have then as far as actually putting that into place with their career? I think it is the getting started and the unknown and following a new path. It can be really and scary. Money. I think it, yeah, exactly. Like, the, a like lot obvious of, bridge of like, okay, but this job pays me this and this current one I'm taking on is currently at zero. <laughs> right. And also it's like taking many steps back, which can feel really scary at 30. You know, for many people who are in their early 30s, they've been in the working world already for X amount of years from between like eight to five years at this point in like a, in a real job. And then all of a sudden you want to have a career change and then it's like, okay, so how can I make that work? If I need to study, if I need to go into an entry level job, if I need to, you know, do something different, how can I fund that? And maybe you already do have a mortgage. Maybe you already do have student loans that you need to pay off. Like it is a difficult time, but there's a quote somewhere. I think I've seen it on Instagram, something like, you know, the longer you wait, the more time it's going to take. So you never, the like, you know, you're the youngest that you are today. So if you want to do something new, now is the time to do it. And I think it's about putting your ego to the side. You know, I can share from personal experience that at the age of 32, I 
got a job working in a in a tech firm in sales a completely entry-level job the other girl who got the job with me we started on the same day was 10 years my junior and had no work experience and I've like got eight years of work experience and a law degree like it and then a legal I'm a lawyer so it was really having to put my ego to the side and say okay so I'm taking a step back to take a step forward because this specific job was what I call a bridge job which is the job that you get in the middle when you just need a job to pay the bill so you can actually on the side work on your side hustle so that was what that was for me but it's really difficult and I want to acknowledge that that when you're at that age and you want to do something new, you do sometimes have to take a big step back to later take a huge step forward. And I don't regret that for a second. And I always recommend it to clients. I mean, I cannot, like ego is not a small thing for people to overcome. Um, And so many people don't even, don't even do the work to realize that they have an ego, right? Like, I, so yeah. How did you like, how did you overcome that moment in yourself? Because like, I just picture if you were my coach and I was like, yeah, it was my first day on the, in this bridge job and this 21 year old and no, oh, and she's engaged too, like, you know, whatever, <laughs> let's just make it whatever. Um, and I just picture you being like, well, that's your ego, Lauren. Me being like, thanks a lot, Emma. I feel so much better. <laughs> I would be worse <laughs> Yeah, it's it is hard, and I think that I I wouldn't say that by the way. If you're my friend, just for everyone <laughs> listening, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go with that. <laughs> but I just think that if you're asking like how I did it or like how I basically could commit to it, I think it was because I had a really strong why. You know, in coaching, we talk a lot about the why, like the mission, like really what you wanted. It would have been much harder for me to put my ego to the side if I didn't have a path and I was just starting this job and it just was like, oh, I just need a job to pay, you know, to, to pay for my life, but. For me, it was like, no, I'd found life coaching. I trained as a life coach. I'd started my business. I'd unsuccessfully, um, I'd not managed to get it off the ground within that first year. So I'd entered back into the working world. And I was like, no, this is just temporary. I need to do this or I want to do this. It was a really great job because it was it was related to coaching. Like the, what I was selling was related to coaching. And I knew I was going to learn loads of things. And I was like, okay, it's fine. Like one year and it really was just one year that I'm going to do this. And I just didn't make it mean anything about me. I'd like detached from that narrative of, oh, I'm this age and I'm, you know, I could have gone down the victim like path of all my friends. My friends in London were all like, you know, being made managers and senior associates at the law firm. And they were all getting promotions on promotions and, you know, really far ahead in their career. But for me, it was like a lot about accepting that my path was different to others. I was on a different timeline. I was a late bloomer in my terms of my career and actually all aspects of my life. Like, and I actually just, it, it, I'm speaking about it in retrospect at the time, it didn't come so easy, but there was something almost like refreshing to be different and refreshing to just say, okay, this is a different thing that that I expected and the ego was there I did get frustrated and I accepted those frustrations but I just kept connecting with the mission okay if future me in one year's time or two years time is going to be a successful life coach with fully booked clients what would she tell you to do and it was always the same answer just go to work do the work and come home and actually I really like that job and I got promoted very quickly to be a manager because they saw it and they were like oh, this is ridiculous. After three months, they were like, no, no, no. Like you need to train everyone. They were trying to suck you back in. (laughs) Yeah, it didn't work. 
um but so I also think that that was also something like to play a part of it and listen like I don't you know your listeners who are listening who do have to make those career jumps and if they are having career changes you might not always have to do what I did and go all the way back to entry level but there is something there of like swallowing pride a little bit and and owning the new journey or owning the new path Right. Well, and honestly, one way that I could see, so like I said, there is hopefully a small percentage. Well, I don't want to say that because then that's just, I don't know. I take that back. This is such a minefield of like within chiropractic, you're only supposed to talk good about chiropractic and like, it's the greatest thing in the world. And so it's this minefield for me of like, I don't want to. So there's going to be a percentage of people who are like, shoot, I think I want to leave chiropractic. I'm just not in this. And then there's also a a big percentage. So within chiropractic, there's a really big push to when you, to like start your own practice. And so some people graduate and then work for another chiropractor for a little bit called an associate, like you're just an employee. But then like, ultimately there is this pressure that why would you go into this to work for someone else? Like, when are you going to start your own? And so you brought up how difficult it is to take a step back. And I think the perceived step back that a lot of my audience could really struggle or grapple with is they started their practice. They started like they went into entrepreneurship. They thought this is like the epitome. Wait, the epitome is the top or the bottom? The climax of their career. Like this is what they're supposed to do. They have employees and taxes and all of, you know, the buck stops stops with them and they hate running a business and they want to just do what the degree is is like, take care of people. They don't want to have to deal with marketing. They don't want to have to deal with hiring and firing employees. And they want to air quotes, take a step back and just work for someone And that is a really difficult thing, kind of like we talked about with like that ego, where it's like they're having to let go that we have this idea that they're capable of running a business or, you know, like, that's a really hard thing, I think, for people to overcome. So yeah, it's definitely relevant for what I was just speaking about, because I think that it's about being true to yourself. So in my coaching, and maybe you heard on my podcast, I speak a lot about authenticity, being aligned, that in coach speak means really understanding what you want, what you like, what lights you up, and then following that and ignoring almost drowning out the background noise of what other people think. So I can imagine it must be very difficult that if you have your own practice, but you're not really enjoying it to take that step back and say, you know what, I really want to work for someone else. But Again, it's really important to listen to what the authentic you want, because do you want to live a life and have your, your, you know, owning your own business is a huge part of your life. So if you don't enjoy it, it can really take over. And you want to live an unhappy life based on what other people will think of you, or do you want to actually do what you want to do and enjoy it? And if people think whatever, then let them think it. Yeah. You talk about comparison a lot too. Um, were you someone who naturally struggled with that and had to overcome it or not really? Because I, I know comparison's huge for me and it's obviously huge for a lot of people. Now less so because I've been on a huge journey with it. But when I was like 26, 27, a lot of my friends started doing all those things. So huge portion of my 
girlfriends from back home got engaged and got married from the ages of like 25 the engagement started the most of the weddings were 26 27 had 13 weddings in one year when I was 27 and I'm I'm not married now so it's like you know the years and years of sitting and being a guest in somebody's wedding and like thinking why not me and especially at that age when I hadn't really like done a gone into the self-development world and know anything about you know didn't really ever know how to air my feelings even to myself in my own head so there were many times when I would be overwhelmed and overcome with comparison because it was like I just didn't understand like why why is everyone else doing something different to me and it felt really strong as well because it wasn't even that I was sitting there thinking I really want to do this it was like everyone's in a different stage of life but I'm not ready for this I still want to travel and I still want to move country I still want to meet people I still want to have experiences I still not figured out what job I even want to do so I would say that I was thrown into a comparison frenzy and it probably did come from childhood and my early childhood experiences in high school and what it was like to I went to a private girls school in the UK which is very kind of Hogwarts vibe and everyone was pitted against each other and many of us have this you know if you go to a school where they put you in their grades and sets depending on your you know how how smart you are at maths and English that's what they did in my school we're like bread to compare so I feel like most of us are not immune to comparison some of us definitely have higher comparison levels than others but then over the years I think well I know it's a result of doing this the, the coaching work and therapy and and understanding myself more plus just really like connecting with other women who are on the same path to me and having friends who are more aligned with me I eventually compare much less and now you know I think my biggest comparison probably comes up in the business world like looking at other coaches and seeing where they are and thinking where I want to be and things on social media but in terms of life stages I feel like comparison is thing of thing of the past now do you feel like social media has actually helped that in a way where, you know, you start putting things out there and I mean, you know, you have a big following and you, people are, <laughs> I read through the comments and it's just like, I'm so glad someone finally said that, you know, like, and so it's like, oh, okay, cool. There's like a bunch of us that feel this way. I'm not broken. <laughs> Yeah, social media has two different sides to it. And I definitely focus more on the positive side. I definitely think for me, you know, being able to grow my community, you know, to what it is now and being able to connect with so many other individuals who are going on their own you know, comparison journeys, turning 30 journeys has just changed everything. It's that, you know, that saying, find your tribe. I really used Instagram specifically to find my tribe. And I know that so many of my community use that you know and it's such a benefit and and I love Instagram because of that I've made honestly amazing friends who I've never even met before in all different places in the world who we have connected over Instagram and they're really you know we have very like you know nice friendships and we're speaking a lot obviously there's the not so good side of social media which I think is specifically for those who are using social media not for their business and it's just personal thing I see it very much so that it's like you can open your social media and just be like overwhelmed with how many baby, you know, baby announcements and, and um, engagements and weddings and all these kinds of things. Instagrammable moments. Yeah. Those highlights that we think mean that everyone is, everyone around us is really happy and we're left behind. But it's funny because, you know, when I started my, my Instagram account, I started it from scratch. It wasn't my own personal account. I just opened it for the business. Now I do have an Instagram account. It's got like 300 followers, uh, a personal one. It's got like 300 followers. I honestly, I got a new 
iPhone a few weeks ago and I haven't even put it on yet and I don't know the password. So, but I used to joke that if I ever wanted to feel bad about myself, I would just switch to my personal Instagram and have a quick scroll. And it would just be like, literally like everyone else's life is different to mine. And I'm talking about my old friends, you know? And and so I think the message from that is you get to curate what you see on Instagram. Now my Instagram feed is full of, amazing messages you know other people who really inspire me and expand me and I very rarely look at people who I know and my friends understand that I'm, I'm using my Instagram for my business but you can mute people that you don't want to see like Instagram should be a safe place for you to come and feel safe and feel inspired and feel at least just neutral you shouldn't be opening your social media every day and feeling less than an right. comparison. So you talked about how you had 30 weddings in a year. And so these were obviously your friends, you know, um, 13, one, three, one, oh, three. I one, three. Okay. 30. I was like, oh my God, I could not have done 30. <laughs> <laughs> 13, still a lot. Um, and did you notice that your friendships changed from your late twenties to your mid thirties? Like did, is it, like, was it difficult to still, because I'm assuming um, that those that got married then within a few years started having children, like, how did your friendships have to change in that, in that way? Friendships change drastically from the ages, from the late 20s, from your late 20s until your 30s. I think that it's the time where your friendships go through the biggest transitions. And I think it's not spoken about enough because I think that there's this expectation that your friends will already be your friends by that point, you know, whether it's from your home friends or your high school friends or your college friends or whoever, that that's it. But actually, like we were just saying before, from the age of 25 to 30, people's paths diverge and they go on very, very different paths. So, you know, it's, I have a friend even now at the age of 36, but I have friends who are still single, traveling the world, have no urge to settle down, still like to go to raves and parties. And I obviously have friends who have four kids and two houses and live in the suburbs and, and everything in between. And I think that for me personally, you know, it, it was difficult, but it was also it was also great because I got to meet lots of new people. I made amazing friends in my thirties and every year I made new friends and I really prioritize friendships. I really recommend prioritizing friendships. It's very important to have people around you who get you, whether that be at the similar stage of life, if you're a business owner, other business owners who can really like relate to you. Um, and it's, it's difficult to not try and hang on desperately to those old relationships that have changed. But I think that it, important to allow them to evolve and at some point those friendships might come back you know my friends from home my original friends from when I was 12 13 years old a lot of the girls yeah they had their had their third babies by now and when I see them wow I love to see them and catch up and I see them every so often but it's not like we're trying to pretend that we have the same lives we don't we have different lives we have different interests we we talk about different things and that's okay and I think that those friendships will always be really sacred to me because they knew me at that part of my life when I was, you know, going, going through life in my teenage years. And we have lots of amazing memories together, but our lives are different now. And I've made in the last six, seven years since I've been in my thirties, really great friends who 
also sacred to me and they didn't know me when I was growing up but they've known me in these really pivotal times in my life and been through big life changes with me and see me start a business and go through huge breakups and start new relationships and I think there's something really special as well about those friendships but my biggest piece of advice is to not expect that your friendships will stay the same they absolutely won't unless you just happen to have a small group of friends and you all just do the same thing at the same time which is quite rare and then you all happen to make the exact same personal growth and you still align all the same that is possible it is possible possible. it's not that likely but it is possible (laughs) right um but I like what you said where it's like you can change and like you know my brain uh, ranks things. And so it's really difficult for me to be like, this is my best friend though. And like, so I like how you said, like they can still have a sacred friendship, but it's not, if you were ranking, they may not be the first, second or third person you'd even call if a crisis hits today type of thing. So I love that. Um, so Do you feel, we're going to turn a little more towards like intimate relationships. In my mind, I feel like in your thirties, like some of your friends are starting to get divorced. Like literally that's, that's the truth. The divorce rate just is a thing. Um, And I feel like society, well, we don't love divorce, but like, it's almost more acceptable to be 34 and getting a divorce versus 34 dating someone for the last three years everyone was like oh she's gonna get married and then you're like actually we parted ways because do you like do you agree with that well that's really interesting I think both of them are just like awful for society does that anything yeah like anything that isn't a romantic love story that ends in this perfection is just like people just want to put the hands over their eyes and ears and just ignore it you're Uh, ruining my life by you living your life yeah how dare you how dare you do something that's different to what we all expected from you um for me my story was the day the days leading up to my 33rd birthday I broke off a four-year um relationship that was headed for for engagement and and it was because it wasn't aligned in terms of the next steps and I think that yeah was really shocking to people and I think that people have a really hard time dealing with things not going in a linear in a linear way (laughs) definitely hi friends I wanted to take a quick break from the episode to make sure you all know about the cool stuff we have happening over on patreon this is a platform where I can offer you extra content behind the scenes interviews quick trainings and exclusive trainings answering your exact question live back to back with me. It's a way for me to more directly interact with you and post some fun things that would never be in the normal weekly episodes. To check out what we're doing and to sign up, click the link in the show notes. I'd like to take a moment to thank one of our primary sponsors of the podcast, Insight CLA. The Insight tech moves the message off the spine and into the nervous system where the magic of the adjustments can be measured and tracked. Everyone from newborns to seniors are being scanned in my practice and in thousands of other practices like ours so they can be examined and inspired to choose chiropractic care. It's like an instant referral machine because the scans are so visible and informative. Like what patient wouldn't want to know how their nervous system is performing? The staff at CLA are ready to take care of you and answer any questions you may have. 
They also have an incredible online academy that can help train everyone in the office and help them to feel confident on how to get perfect scans and how to interpret the results. We have been using the Insight technology in our clinics for over seven years now, and it is a complete game changer for conversion, retention, and patient education. Click the link below in the show notes as She Slays listeners get preferred pricing and hundreds of dollars off their purchase. Hey, She Slayers, I have partnered with Well Aligned and Above Down Apparel to give all of my listeners something really special. So listen up, don't skip. A free premium t-shirt, okay? You get a free t-shirt. So just head over to wellaligned.com forward slash She Slays to claim your listener offer. That's all you got to do. Above Down has the coolest and most comfy chiropractic tees that showcase your personality. My favorite is the Mabel. I love it. Um, they're super soft and a great conversation starter if you do seek conversation with, you know, your patients. We call it table talk. What more can you ask for? So I've also been using well-aligned materials for years to educate my patients. They have high-quality ROF folders, patient hands out, handouts, office forms, posters, and a ton more. So why recreate the wheel when there's a perfectly designed communication tool ready for you to help educate and inform? Head over to wellalign.com forward slash she slays to claim your free t-shirt. And I'll drop a link in the show notes so you can check it out. Yeah. Um, because I would assume that, yeah, like linear, like you, you date, you're supposed to get married now because the like fertility cliff is coming. Like how, that is, uh, that has got to be one of the most annoying things to be a woman in your thirties and deal with like people really feeling like it is their place to talk to you about, well, do you want kids? Like, what are you going to do about this? Yeah, totally. And I have, I speak a lot in my, in my content about the fertility cliff and actually trying to not necessarily disprove it. I'm not a doctor. I could do it from medical education. So I can't tell, say, you know, that, that it is wrong, but it is definitely on the research that has the research that is the basis of the fertility cliff is very outdated so it's from french farmers from like the 1800s basically and that's what you know the sample of women who were sampled are from a completely different day and age they had completely different even like uh what's the word like the death rate was ridiculous lifespan lifespan was completely different and we're now told, and they were basically studied and it was found this huge cliff that happened at 35. And it's just not taking into account the modern day woman in 2023, who also has access, most of us have access to some sort of fertility treatments if, and you know, if need be. And it's just, you know, it really annoys me. It's like one of the things that I get really, really frustrated about because I see it so much and it happened with me as well is that, you know, turning 30 is one thing but then turning 35 and not and being childless is, is terrifying it's literally terrifying because from popular culture and also society in general and the medical world I will say as well because doc well, yeah at 36 well. you're called a geriatric pregnancy in the yeah, US 35 yeah yeah, yeah. 35, oh 35 yeah and <laughs> um, we couldn't come up with a better word than geriatric I know it's just insane oh, fuck. It? And, and and it's like you know, people 
myself included, have literal breakdowns. If you're childless and you're, especially if you're single, turning 35 for me one year ago was, was really hard. It was my hardest birthday. It was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Like this because is of the child work. thing, because I want more like, so than mom. Mary. Yeah. Cause I would like to be a mom and it's like, oh my God, my time is running out. My time is absolutely not running out. And I know that now. And I'm like, I'm the kind of person that when I get a B in my bonnet about something, I can like do research for hours and hours and hours. And I, I literally like become experts on things. And I now understand that, yes, obviously your eggs are decreasing in quality and quantity the older that we get. It's not a lie that we have a biological clock and it's not something that we should ignore or put to the side, but it does not happen on the minute that you turn 35. And many, many, many women have pregnancies, successful pregnancies until their 40s, if not even later. So there's something to be said there for raising awareness of that because this fertility cliff is just stabilitating. And it's something that I really experience, and I know a lot of clients experience. And it's it's hard. It's a hard one because we can't really come out and say, you know, we have all the time in the world. We don't. There is something there about having to address it, but there's also something there of really knowing that it's not, you know, it's not the end of the world. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not all doom and gloom. Yeah, you said you were um, on your Instagram like that. One of the things you're focusing on is your fertility. What kind of things are you doing? So for me, I froze my eggs. So it was something that I was considering doing when I came out of this relationship at 33. I quite soon after realized, oh my god, I'm dating in a really like non-productive way because I was trying to meet somebody, you know, husband hunting. And then I said no, and I did all the fertility tests. You do what we call a fertility MOT, which basically just tells you if you do have something to worry about. Many, many women or most women will have a normal range of fertility, but you never know. And I think that everyone has the right to understand their hormones and you know understand what's going on single not single wanting a baby not wanting a baby like you have the right to go and check it so I checked mine and then I decided then everything was looking good and I said okay I'm gonna go traveling and I went to Costa Rica for five months and had an amazing trip and and then I got back and I was kind of like I'm not ready to freeze my eggs everything's good and then when I did turn 35 the panic set in again and then I think I was dating someone for a short time and it and it broke off and that was like the push that I needed to freeze them. So I froze them coming up to one year ago. Um, and for me, that was just taking control of my fertility. And then apart from that, I'm just very aware of what I eat. Like not everyday eating for my fertility, but I'm very like healthy and I want to live a healthy life because I know that when the time comes that I do want to have a baby, that is what you eat in your diet and the lifestyle that you live is actually equally as important as your age. You know, people can be having really, really destructive diets from the age of 28 and that will affect them getting pregnant. So yeah, I think every woman has the right to plan for her future family, whether she's single or not, if that's where she is in her life and wants to think about it. And we shouldn't have to wait for a man to rescue us to make us even think of those things. Well, speaking of men, (laughs) um, do you feel like so I mean okay we've covered the the societal like push for a career we didn't really talk about how like and that career should make you rich you should be like you should be rich in your 30s uh so you can retire a millionaire so uh, uh you should get married and then have children so 
in all of these topics, do you feel like men would there, is there a turning 30 podcast for men? No, no, it's not that it's not relevant for men. I've never, I've only had one male client. He came into a group program that I did. He was incredible. I would imagine they feel the career thing. I was going to say, but they do and they don't like they feel it, but turning 30 for men is about money and career for sure. If there's going to be a milestone for them, but for men, I think 40 is maybe 35 and then 40 is more of that time when they start to really think, okay, I want to actually think about having a family now. And obviously it is different pressures. Male fertility isn't actually as spoken about as it should be because it's It's a a huge indicator. It's a huge issue right now. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. But obviously people, we like hear of all these like famous celebrities having children into their 80s. So we men think that they can have children to whatever age. Uh, but in general, men don't worry about these things in the same way. And I think also in general, men are less into the self-development things. I know that's changing and there are a lot more men who are becoming more conscious and mindful. But in general, women are more likely to you know engage in the coaching podcast and, and you know go down this route but no man I speak to a lot of men and they were very rarely tell me they were having a crisis when they turned 30 they're kind of like oh I turned 30 right and maybe it's 40 but like I wonder if all of that is linked to this old research like is everything because you know we're we're humans and we're designed to procreate right so like in our like genetic coding even when we don't think we're consciously making decisions based on procreation like it might be that so I'm I'm wondering if men just don't feel that push because on this like deep subconscious level they feel like they have all the time in the world and like how would a woman live her life if she felt like she had all the time in the world? The great question. And, you know, a lot of women say, you know, they come to me and my next steps are, I really want to find a partner because I really want to have kids and I really want to be a mum. And then actually they start to tell me their lives. And I'm like, something's not measuring up because if you want to do all these things, but you're actually still traveling and, you know, enjoying yourself and you're doing everything else. And I say, if you didn't have a biological clock right now, would you actually be ready to meet someone? And I like, absolutely not. If I could have kids in 10 years, and I knew I could have kids in 10 years and it would be successful. I wouldn't think about it right now. So I think if the pressure was off for women, they would probably act very differently. And then even the inverse of that, like women, I think scare, quote unquote, scare men away, not meaning to that sound anti-feminist, but as in they date in a way that becomes not productive for them. So they don't really show how amazing they are and how incredible as women they are and show their true you know, value in the world because they're trying to fit themselves into this box of being this good person that needs to be picked. And I always think, and I tell this to clients, like just throw away any of these pressures and timelines and just go and be you. Because the minute that you try to you know, be someone else, it's going to really be very hard for somebody to to feel that energy and I want to say that that was very true for me so people might be triggered listening to that because I know that a lot of people a message that like that can land difficult like in a in a challenging way but for me I did feel the pressures it was definitely in some ways leaking through when I was dating and definitely the way I felt about myself in the dating world when I froze my eggs I just felt this huge relief of pressure I was just like the minute after I did the 
the egg retrieval and I had a nice number of eggs and I just said oh thank god I can just relax and recover now and met my boyfriend two weeks later because it was like I didn't care anymore and I was just so open and so like oh I just want to just be me be myself and then it was like okay here we go and I just think it's so much to be said for just taking that pressure off well yeah you said uh you were husband hunting at some point right like and then you were like um and it is there's so many you know to kind of circle back to what we're talking about there's so many women and men sure uh that are in their 30s and 40s and they really don't know why they're unhappy they don't know who they are and i would imagine a good portion of them were focused on like finding a husband because that was the next stage being the role that that husband wanted then it was like creating the wedding that instagram wanted and then having the babies that their parents needed like society needed them to have and like for me i really really wanted babies and then i also wanted a career so like some women are like they really want babies and then they just 100% become a mom and then their kids get older and then they look to this relationship and they're like, um, shoot, like, what, who am I? And it's like, well, I don't know. Let's go back to 22 when you were husband hunting and playing this role. Yeah, so. totally. I yeah. think a lot of, I see a lot of women doing that as the two categories. It's there someone who's in their thirties and hasn't done all the things yet. And then I also have to see a lot of women who have done all the things and they're like, oh no. I'm not, I'm not fulfilled. This isn't actually what I wanted. So it's also important to remember when we think of the grass being greener, we can often look at other people's lives and we're comparing and be like, oh, that person has everything that I want. And it's like, okay, but are they really happy? Some might be, but many people aren't. Yeah. Okay. So how can someone work with you? We've obviously talked about you do coaching and you have a podcast. Yeah. So if you want to get to know more about me and what I do, then I'm mostly hanging out on Instagram. So my handle is at turning 30 coach, the 30, the numbers 30. And I also have my turning 30 podcast, which is like, we have conversations like this all the time. I have some solo episodes and also lots of interesting guest episodes. I, of course, I'm a coach as well. I currently have a very limited number of one-on-one coaching spots. I think I only have one left. I'm not sure when you're bringing the episode uh, out, but Uh, definitely if it's something that you're interested in uh, take a look on my Instagram it will be in the um, bio it's an application uh, only process and then I'm also running a retreat in the UK so I know most of your audience are probably in the states but we actually have three women flying in from the states for it so I'm still gonna I'm still gonna mention it Um, that's gonna be in August uh, in the UK and it's called the Align Retreat and what it really is about is you know really being true to who you are and learning what society says you should do and and how to actually live your own path Uh, and for now they're the main ways that you can work with me and I have lots of exciting things coming up so if you're interested in this conversation and what we've been speaking about today definitely come and join join me over on Instagram and you can see what's on offer there Awesome. Well, I just want to thank you so much. I know that when you're a podcast host, uh, you know, you have to make, you're like, I'm always recording. And then, so then to go on someone else's podcast is like, oh shoot. And then I can't even use that for my podcast. So I understand that like give take of like, sure, I'll make content for your podcast. (laughs) No, I love it. I love being interviewed. It's my favorite. It's so much easier than being a host, isn't it? You're like, I just get to show up and answer questions. 
Yeah, I just I like it because you definitely have to think less. And also it's just fun because I spend loads of time asking everyone else questions and now I get to be like, let me tell you my journey. Yes, yes, <laughs> so yeah, so thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thank you. All right, she's Slayers. Um, go check her out on Instagram. It's very entertaining um, and inspirational. I really enjoy your Instagram quite a bit. Um, and until next week, bye. Hey, She Slayers, are you looking to get your team off the phone and streamline your front desk so you can spend more time doing what you love? SCED has exactly what you're looking for. They will automate all your appointment reminders, missed appointment reminders, reactivation campaigns, allow you to have two-way texting with your patients. Plus, they have a very cool app that your patients are going to love. The app alone saves chiropractors tons of time because it gives patients the flexibility to move appointments to a time that works better for them. Don't worry, you won't lose control of your schedule because you'll have access to all the parameters that keep you still in control. Plus, there's overbook protection, so your schedule won't get out of hand. SCED was created by a chiropractor for chiropractors, so you can rest assured that you're getting the absolute best system for your office. Dr. Eric Kowalki is committed to the chiropractic mission, and he works closely with his developers to always be innovative so that we have the best system available. If you're hesitant to switch to SCED because you already use something else, let me tell you, it's worth every penny. Plus, mention that you heard about it on my podcast and they'll give you a discount. Seriously, it is a game changer. Don't wait. <laughs>